Before I begin, I forgot to mention both times that I spoke today that in the foyer you may have noticed a black covered table with the Ukrainian uh, needlepoint on top of that and several materials. We'd like to encourage you, if you want to know a little bit more about EEM, please, there's newsletters, uh, there's some brochures. Do not take the Bibles, okay? <laughs> I only have a very few of those. Um, so please uh, feel free to take the brochures and such. The world had teeth in it, and it could bite you with them anytime it wanted. So Tricia McFarland discovered when she was just nine years old. That's a creepy little novel that uh, written by a guy named Stephen King. I do not recommend you read it before Halloween, but it will send some chills in your back. But it's a story about a little nine-year-old girl who gets lost in the main branch of the Appalachian Trails. All she has on her is a Walkman where she listens to the, uh, uh, the World Series. She loves Tom Gordon, the relief pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. And that's the name of the book, The Girl Who Loves Tom Gordon. And she's lost in the darkness of the Appalachian woods. And she feels like she's being pursued, stalked by what she considers, what she calls and names, for lack of a better term, the God of the woods. A presence that is pure evil. A presence that seeks to destroy her. Like I said, it's a chilling, creepy little novel. Actually, it's not little, it's actually pretty thick. Um, what is it that scares you? Am I getting a lot of feedback here? Should I move this up a little? There we go. What is it that scares you? I mean, you know, really. Spiders, snakes, heights, falling from heights. Okay, some of you, you get on a six-foot ladder, you fall off the ladder, no big deal. For me, it's a lot further drop, okay? So it's a big deal. Yeah, I don't like falling from heights. That's kind of scary. How about darkness? Are you afraid of the dark? Now, I don't mean the darkness of nighttime. Because there you got ambient light, right? I mean, the stars, the moon, or if you're in a city, you see the lights from the city. That's not so frightening, is it? I mean, you got a little light that you can see. I'm talking Stygian darkness. I'm talking the darkness of Carlsbad caverns. Have you ever been to Carlsbad? I have, years ago. And what is it that they do to you? When you're in Carlsbad caverns, they get all the tour together, and you're in the big room that's well lit, and they said, we're going to do something. And they turned the lights out. And it's all fun and games for about one nanosecond. And then you begin to feel the scream welling up in the pit of your stomach. And it gets to your chest. And then it gets right at the base of your throat. And right when it gets to the base of your throat, that's when the lights come back on. Ha, ha, ha. Isn't that funny? Yeah, bring your neck a little closer to my fingers. Trying to scare me to death. I mean, that lasted, what, all two seconds? Nearly scared me to death. I took 30 middle school students. That's scary enough in itself. I took 30 middle school students to spend the night and spelunk in Cumberland Caverns in Tennessee. All right? Yeah. 
and the, the, don't worry, it's perfectly safe, as safe as 30 middle, middle school students can be, um, but it was perfectly safe. We had guides and all that, and we spelunked all the day long in the caverns, and at nighttime, you bring your sleeping bags and your flashlights, and you lay down, and they turn the lights out. I got news for you. One of two things are going to happen. You're going to either have the best night's sleep in the world or you're not going to sleep at all, right? Yeah. What is it about darkness that's so frightening? Well, in darkness, you lose your bearings. You lose your sense of direction. You lose your sense of time. If you're a professional spelunker, so I'm told, you want to have as many flashlights with you as possible, many lights, and a good backup battery. Because what happens if the light shatters? What happens when you lose the light? Suddenly, you fall down on all fours and you start crawling and praying that you're going in the right direction. Why? Because you've lost all sense of direction and you don't know where you're going and you're just only hoping that you're heading toward light somewhere. You see, in darkness, in total darkness, you can't distinguish friend from foe. In total darkness, you can't distinguish danger from inanimate or animate objects or from a, a big hole in the floor that you might plummet through and break every bone in your body. You can't tell in pure darkness. Well, as you read the Bible, you begin to realize darkness is often associated with fear, with dungeons. You're talking about people seeing a great light. It means they've been in a dungeon. They've been brought out of a dungeon, out of prison. And when they're in prison, it's totally dark. No windows or anything like that. And they begin to see light. That's what that imagery is all about. Darkness is associated with fear, dungeons, and death. And ultimately, our ultimate enemy, Satan. Because after all, death is his henchman, right? Death is the tool that he uses to hold everybody in line, to scare everybody, to keep everyone under control. And death is so multifaceted, isn't it? It, it just merely is separation, right? And separation can take on many forms. Separation from relationships, separation from our friends. It could take on separation from meaning in life. It could take on separation from a purpose in life. It could take on separation from health, from your own home, from your community, from physical life itself, and ultimately separation from God. It goes way back to the beginning, the story of creation and the fall, doesn't it? Adam and Eve, they sinned by eating the forbidden fruit, the fruit that God said, if you, if you eat of it, you will certainly die. But yet they didn't die right then, did they? But yeah, they did, in that they were sent in exile, sent from the presence of God, sent from the garden. And there they experience death in all of its forms, as they have two sons who are separated from each other because of the hatred of one son, and ultimately he does the unthinkable as he kills his brother, and the first experience of physical death takes place at that moment. Not only physical death, but physical violence as well. Death and darkness. That's the story of the Bible. But the Gospel of John gives us a picture, a picture of hope. And we just read that passage, right? 
in the beginning, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the, I like the way the Greek changes the wording than our English translations, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. A light that shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not overcome it did not understand it. And that's the story of the Bible. Most of you know that story. The story of what Jesus has done. Because of sin, we all deserve to die. Because of sin, we all deserve to be separated from God. We're imprisoned by Satan, and there's no hope for us. Death would be the final answer, and darkness would win. But God became flesh. God became flesh, showed us what it was meant to be truly human, and showed us what it meant to be united with God. But sin and death could not handle that. Satan could not handle that. And so they did their worst. They poured out their full wrath on Jesus on a cross, and he let them and in so doing, they spent themselves out. And at the resurrection, when Jesus physically, literally came out of a grave, guaranteeing our physical, literal resurrection, he defeated death. He defeated Satan. He defeated the darkness. Death did its worst, but Jesus overcame death, guaranteeing that one day we too will overcome death, never to die again. Death does not have the final word. Life wins. Now, do you get that? Because sometimes I don't think we get that. Life actually wins, and death is defeated. Victory can be found throughout the New Testament. This cry of victory. In Hebrews chapter 2, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Paul's shout of exaltation is seen in 1 Corinthians 15. Death where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? It's done away with. We don't have to live in fear anymore. Ah. But does it really make a difference? I mean, really. Those of you my age, have you stayed up at night thinking about death? I don't know, maybe I'm just weird, but the older I get, the more it comes to my mind. Yeah. Does it really make a difference to know this story? That Jesus actually defeats death and that we too can defeat death? Does that really change the way we live our lives? Or are we living in fear of death? Sometimes it's hard to believe it that we can face death down with courage. But I remember the story after story in the New Testament Remember Peter and John persecuted? 
told not to preach in the name of Jesus again by the very people who crucified Jesus just a few weeks before? And what is their response as they gather the church together and they're very, in a very real dangerous situation? What do they say? They say, let's pray. And what do they pray for? Lord, please deliver us from this evil? No, that's not what they pray for. They pray, Lord, take note of their threats. We recognize it, recognize it, God, and give us boldness to keep on talking regardless of their threats. And you see that throughout the New Testament, whether they're sawn in two, whether they're killed, whether they're stoned, it doesn't matter. They are going to be faithful because they've looked at death, they've seen its worse, and they're not afraid anymore. Oh, it seems like a fantasy, doesn't it? Well, I gotta tell you, I was in uh, Greece last August. Not, no, not this last August, but August a year ago. There I got to witness five out of seven baptisms that weekend of Muslim refugees. And yes, I, the little black box over their face, sometimes churches televise their services and we can't show their faces because of the danger. That was one of the young men that I got to see being baptized. Over 250 Muslim refugees baptized in, by the Glafada Church of Christ since 2015, 14, something like that. And there is some young men, about three or four young men, about this guy's age. They were converted a couple of weeks later than this picture was taken. One of those guys' name was Irfan. Irfan was a professional soccer player. Now, they call it football. They say, we've got it wrong, you know. But um, he's a football player, professional football player. And they were walking at nighttime in Athens, and they didn't know it, but they were being followed by a group of radical Islamists who followed them into an alley and confronted them with weapons and said, we heard that you became Christians. Denounce Jesus now or we're going to kill you. Irfan and his friends looked at them and said, you know, a lot of things may happen in the next couple of minutes, but we're going to tell you what's not going to happen. We're not denying Jesus. Those men jumped on Irfan and his friends. They beat them. They stabbed them. Irfan was stabbed multiple times. His liver was lacerated. His lungs were punctured. He lost a kidney, lost a spleen. He gathers the church together after he gets out of the hospital. That's Irfan. Gathers the church together after they get out of the hospital and says, brothers and sisters, we've got to pray. We've got to pray. What do you think they prayed for? Deliverance? Vengeance? No. Lord, help us find these folks that attacked us. And give us the courage that if we see them again, that we will share the good news of Jesus with them. Lord, please deliver those who attacked us out of the bondage and darkness of hate and fear. Because that's what's driving them. And help them come into your light. 
Can you believe that? People have accepted the light and accepted the message of Jesus to the point that they believe that death has been defeated and they do not fear death anymore, at least not to the extent that those without hope experience it. And they are willing to put their very lives on the line. I got to tell you about this young lady. She's a Croatian teacher, um, teaches Bible ethics in public schools in Croatia. She was talking to us about how that, uh, this, was, this was just in June or May, the end of May, and she was talking with us about how that Christian ethics teachers in Croatia don't always have the best, uh, well, people don't look highly upon them at times. And she says, we catch it a lot. And my friend, and you know uh, Dirk Smith, who is, uh, who's spoken here before, he was with us and, and he was talking through the interpreter and he looked at her and he says, you know, it's, it's not great in America either. We can't teach Christian ethics in public schools either at, at all. At least y'all are being able to teach them in public schools in Croatia. But it may not get any better for you. It may get worse. And we just want to encourage you. Don't give up. And, and don't lose face. And don't lose faith. And stay courageous. And she shot back. As soon as those words left his mouth, she shot back in perfect English, I am not afraid. Turkey could speak English the whole time. <laughs> but no. Why? Because they are discovering the message and the person who brings life and light, and they are not afraid of death. In class, I told you about Igor Kozlovsky. Igor Kozlovsky, who was kidnapped by the Donetsk People's Republic and for two years held prisoner, he was released this last Christmas, two years held prisoner, beaten, threatened with his life, tortured. They, threw, they put a bag over his head, put, put cylinders in his hands and said, these are live grenades. And we asked him, what kept you going? He said, three things kept me going. The first one was love. No matter what they did to me, I kept saying, I am loved, I am loved, I am loved. Responsibility was the second thing. I knew I was not afraid to die. But I knew I had to live because someone had to bear witness to what was happening here. And I also had responsibility to love them because they needed God's love too. And I needed the courage to keep on loving them. And finally, prayer. And they would ask me, how can you keep smiling? My cellmates would ask me, how can you keep smiling after you've just been beaten? He said, because when they put that bag over my head to start torturing me, he says that I go to a world that they can never understand. I go to God in prayer, and I talk with him, and no matter what they do to me, they cannot take that away from me. What motivates a person like that? What keeps a person like that keeping going? is the lack of the fear of death because they have an overwhelming understanding that there is a God who has delivered them from the grave. There is a God who says that death is not the final word. It's not the final answer. There will be resurrection, and you do not have to experience this. You will be rescued. Perhaps we have a hard time believing that here in America because 
we haven't taken advantage of the message that God gives us. You see over there, I worked in youth camps in Ukraine, secular, old communist youth camps. I used to recruit teams to go over and teach in those. We taught Bible, we give them Bibles. Kids would take a Bible and they'd come back the next day and take a children's Bible or a teen Bible, they'd come back the next day and say, well, I've already read this one, what's next? <laughs> they actually read their Bibles. And they like reading them. And maybe the problem is, is that we haven't embraced the text. So we either don't know the message or we don't really believe the message. Actor David Suchet, English actor, if you ever watched BBC and watched Poirot, he's the guy that plays Poirot, uh, Agatha Christie's, but English actor David Suchet happens to be a big believer in the public reading of scriptures, and he's on, a, he's on a mission to get people to read scripture. In an interview with him, he said, you know, in the West, in England and the United States, the Bible is the most purchased and least read book ever. And maybe that's why we don't really grasp the truth. Because we haven't read the story, we haven't embraced the story enough and kept reminding ourselves of the story that God has defeated death and the light has won. That's why we at EEM are so keen on getting the Bible to those who are hungry to read it. That's why we spread the Bible as often as we can to those in Eastern Europe and beyond. We want to put the Bible into hands of people who otherwise may not have a translation in their own language or at least a contemporary translation in their own language. You know how many English versions of the Bible I have in my house? I counted the other day, 10. 10 contemporary English versions. I bet you some of y'all have four or five at least. Over there, nothing like that. In Slovenia, the last translation they had was translated in 1584. Don't think King James thinks Wycliffe until last year when we were able to provide them a New Testament in contemporary Slovenian. Serbia, this is the first year they've had a Serbian contemporary translation from the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic this year in the last 150 years. That's why we're so committed to planting the seed of God's word into the hands of people who will take it seriously. 2017, we distributed more Bibles than we did in the years of 13, 14, and 15 all combined, nearly 1.2 million Bibles. And thus, that's not books with printed on, you know, ink printed on paper. That's people, human beings who are matter to God, who are special to God. We've been given a great gift in the message of the Bible. The psalmist said it best in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet, it's a light to my path. For someone in a world of darkness, let me tell you, that's great news. Someone who's trying to find their way and navigate through a world that seems so dark and so scary, it's great news that there is a word that brings light and life. But we cannot keep that news to ourselves. We must be willing to share the good news with others, whether it's in Eastern Europe or whether it's in Jonesboro, Arkansas. So here's my challenge for you. You ready? You might want to take notes, three words. Read, share, discuss. Get these three words down. You can walk away with it. Read, 
share, discuss. First of all, read the book. All right? Read the book. And I don't care what methodology you use in reading the book. I don't care what reading plan you have. Personally, I'm not a fan of the Bible through a year. I don't do speed reading. <laughs> I like to dig around and chew on it for a little while. You know, I'll take a book like I'm reading through Ezekiel right now, and I've been reading through that for the last month, and I'll probably spend next month reading through it. And if you just took a, a book a month or a book every two months and you just got acquainted with that book really well by the end of the year, you would, you'd be doing a lot worse than not having read it. But it doesn't matter. Read, follow some sort of way to read the text. And read it like a book. Don't read it verse by verse. Read it in full context. Read it through until it becomes part of you. Take it to work. You know, you can do that. It's legal. My daughter is a public school teacher. She can take her Bible to work. You know, it's, it's legal. You can actually read it on break. A lot of places, you can sit down and read your Bible on break. And, but my recommendation is, is have a, a binding that doesn't look like a Bible, okay? Just read it. And when someone asks you what you're reading, say, don't say the Bible. Say, I'm reading this weird little book called Ecclesiastes. Man, it's weird. You ought to read it sometime. And have an extra copy with you. And share it. If they're interested. Don't just throw it at them, all right? But if someone says, that sounds interesting. You know, if you're reading, I'm never afraid to share what I'm reading. Okay, I'm a weird person. I'm a Dean Koontz fan, all right? I love Dean Koontz. I know that officially makes me strange. You already figured that one out, I'm sure. Um, but uh, I have no fear ever sharing with anyone when they say, so what have you been reading recently? Man, I just finished the last Odd Thomas book. Man, that's a great book. Doesn't bother me. Doesn't frighten me. Why are we so afraid to share that we're reading a book out of the Bible? Man, I just finished reading this book of Ruth. It is neat. What an amazing story of love and faithfulness. You ought to read this. And then discuss it. So I said, read. Secondly, share. Give it away. And by the way, you can buy cheap, inexpensive uh, Bibles that are like just printing of one book of the Bible, like the book of Mark. I think the English Standard Version produces individual books. And you just give them away. And say, hey, I'm reading this book called Mark. It's about a guy named Jesus. You ought to read it. If you like, here, I got an extra copy. And give it to people. And then discuss it. Now, in our culture, if you say, I'm going to have a Bible study at my house, that might not get very many takers. But if you have a book club and say, we're going to discuss this neat story, this love story about Ruth or about Esther, once you read it this month, just read it through, and we'll come together and we'll talk about it, see what you like about it. And you can ask simple questions like, what, what really resonated with you on this text? What did you like about the story? What did you not like about the story? What really bugged you about the story? And then you can add the question that even atheists can answer. If there is a God, and if he is speaking through this story, what do you think he'd be telling you? Simple. Read, share, discuss. Do those things. Make it a mission to acquaint people with the word of God, not only in Eastern Europe, but here in Jonesboro as well. We've been faithful partner, you've been a faithful partner of EEM for the last few years. 
Last year alone, you are responsible for sharing over 2,000 Bibles with your gifts. Over 2,000. Not 2,000 Bibles, but 2,000 people have got to be able to discover more about Jesus. With our 60% increase in distribution, we have emptied our warehouses and the requests for God's word continues to outpace our funding. We're not in any danger of closing our doors, but we're having to slow down. And that's not acceptable because people want God's word and we want to be able to keep on providing that. As long as people want it, we want to give it. And so we ask that you please keep on praying for us. Keep on helping us. Help us to be able to share the light to the people of Eastern Europe and beyond. So what scares you? What is it that makes you stay up awake at night? What frightens you? The world has teeth, and it could bite you with them any time it wanted. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus Christ came to defame Satan, to pull out the teeth of his henchman death, and to take the fear out of his friend the grave. He came to bring light and life. And he came to bring rescue, to give you courage, to be able to be his witness. So, may you come to embrace the story of Jesus and discover it anew. May you reconnect with God's word, the Bible. May you learn to engage with God's word, to encounter the message that gives life and light. But may you not be satisfied with just reading it for yourself and just absorbing it just for your own benefit. But may instead you actively share that message both here and abroad, bringing glory to the one who gives us light. Will you pray with me, please? Dear Lord, you are so good, you are so powerful. You are the Lord God, King of the universe. You hold everything in the palm of your hand, and we praise you for that. And the strange thing is that you know us as we are. You know the junk in our lives. You could read our hearts better than we can, and yet you still love us, and you still wrap your arms around us. Thank you for the rescue that you have performed for us. Help us to be a light to others. Help us reflect your light. Help us to never give up on that. Thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for listening to this prayer, and thank you for answering it. It's in your son's name that we all pray. Amen. I assume that in an assembly like this, in churches across the United States, there's usually a time where people are given an opportunity to have prayers for them. People want the community to pray for them because they're going through some sort of struggle, uh, some sort of need. Whatever your need is, whether it's that or whether you've decided you want to be a follower of Christ and you want to know more about how to follow him, we'd like to help you with that. We'd like to help take care of that. Whatever your need is, why don't you come right now as together we stand and sing.